This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a programme about globalisation and the effects it has had on Ireland and other countries around the world over the last 50 years or so. In each programme we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country or countries to get their unique perspective on globalisation as it has affected them, the country they live in and its relationship to the wider world. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience, both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. Last time out, we spoke to an Irishman resident in Panama, developing agri-food investment opportunities over there. Today, we will be talking to another young Irish entrepreneur, a man who, after stints as a trader in the city of London and time spent working in the Breckenridge Bourbon Distillery in Colorado in the US, is now back home in Ireland running the independent whiskey distillery that he founded, the Gortonor Distillery based in Kilmac-Thomas, County Waterford, that produces Natterjack whiskey a fusion of the new and the traditional, and as he says, creating bold new traditions. I'm delighted to have Aidan join us on the line to talk about his experiences and reflections and to get his perspective on business, globalisation and Ireland's place in that process. Aidan Meehan. Hi, Patrick. Welcome, Aidan, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you. So tell me, uh, Aidan, you studied international politics and now you're a whiskey distiller. So tell us a little bit about that journey. So I am. Um, I started off, I did my undergrad in UCD. Um, I graduated in 2002. I went to London to um, do an international relations um, or international politics master's. And then I went into working at a hedge fund in uh, the city of London and worked my way up from the mail room in that hedge fund with a um, mixture of charm, aggression, and basic maths that got me onto the trading floor eventually where I worked at that hedge fund and a few others over the years now. Um, it was, it's hard work. It was trading equities and... What, 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 what year and, What years are we talking about? Are we talking about 90s or...? Uh, I was... So I got my first job in GLG in 2004. I left London in 2015. So okay. that was my period over there doing that. Okay. Um, yeah, and so uh, I did, it's a great job. It was a, it's a super lifestyle. Um, but I decided I wanted to try and build something. And so I, I kind of, I've, I'd maybe had enough of, um, of looking at a screen and never really being able to hold anything tangible. And so I, I really wanted to produce something. So I handed in my notice to a, it was a great organization and a super team and um, some really great people. And and I went um, off to uh, to try and find out what I wanted to do, and not to find myself. But I was I was actually off on a holiday with a friend, and we, we were in Detroit, and we went into a distillery called the Two James Distillery in Detroit. And um, I from there, I, once I went in there, I knew what I wanted to do. It was an incredible facility, overlooked by the by the um, the, the derelict railway station in uh, Detroit, a town that's gone through a very difficult time. But mm-hmm. these guys were just doing what they loved, making whiskey, and it was a, it was an incredible time. And so I came away from there knowing what I wanted to do and now I'm here okay uh, and what about the journey to, to Breckenridge how did that happen so <clears throat> I was uh, I, I, one thing I realized when I started this was that um, I 
knew nothing about distilling whiskey. So I needed to go and find the expertise to do that. And so I went and booked into a couple of courses. I did a, I did a distilling course in London in the, the School of Brewing and Distilling. And then part of that was going to a talk um, on how to do, or how to distill bourbon. And I went to that in Louisville. And uh, Jordan Baya, who's now a partner in the business, was giving that talk. And after the talk, I met him in the car park. He was just, he happened to be walking through the car park of the hotel where the talk was on. He was looking wistfully off the mountains. And it, um, it turned out he just sold his business. And he, I said, can I buy a drink to celebrate? And so we went. I chatted him through the project. He liked the idea of it. He'd never worked on Irish whiskey before. He's, um, he's got a long history in whiskey, but never in Irish whiskey. And he said, what do you need? And I said, I need to work at a distillery. He said, okay, pack your bags, come to Breckenridge. So I moved to Breckenridge for a little over a month and worked at the distillery two shifts a day, working out exactly how you make whiskey. Okay. So Irish whiskey, my understanding is it's going through uh, a renaissance in recent years. You know, Irish whiskey, I believe, used to be uh, the premium global product back in, the, back in the 19th century. So can you tell us some of the facts and figures around that and what attracted you into the business just at this particular time? So, um, yes, Irish whiskey didn't capitalize. Uh, or sorry, so Prohibition came along and knocked Irish whiskey off its perch. Um, we, we, the Scotch don't like to admit this, but we invented whiskey. It, it came from Ireland and there's plenty of history to back that up. But uh, Prohibition um, discovered the market. And when and that caused the series to close here, we weren't as effective at re-establishing our brand post the um, the repeal of, uh, of prohibition. And as a result, Irish whiskey went through a very barren period um, until kind of I mean, even when um, Cooley uh, was being was opened in 1985, you know, Irish whiskey was kind of there was Paddy, there was Jameson, but there wasn't any real idea of it as a as a um, sector within the industry, within the alcohol beverage industry. And that changed um, when Jet, when Irish Distillers was, um, was bought by um, Perna Rickard and Jameson was taken on by them as a, as a powerhouse brand and the money that's necessary to develop a global brand was, was put into the business. And that caused the Irish whiskey sector to flourish. And that has been going on now since, as I say, the, um, the mid-80s. And um, But there's also been a move towards brown spirits and craft brown spirits. And that has led us to where we are today in Irish whiskey. But realistically, Irish whiskey is about 4% of the global market of whiskey. Mm-hmm. And we have, depending on who you listen to, somewhere between 15 and 25 distilleries on the island. And... Um, then Scotland has 60% of the global whiskey market, and they have got about 160 um, distilleries. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely room to grow for Irish whiskey, given I think we have a superior product being that most of our whiskey is triple distilled. It's not protected, by the geographical indicator doesn't protect it, triple distillation, but t- typically is triple distilled for that smoothness. And ours is triple, Natterjack is triple distilled as well. Mm-hmm. But um, what we... What made it more interesting was that I was a 34-year-old living in London, and there was no whiskey that spoke to me. There was no contemporary Irish whiskey, I felt. I didn't I didn't feel that there was – I didn't know what whiskey I liked. And if I didn't know, and I don't mind a night out, and, and you know, I, I like my spirits, I wondered, well, if they've missed out on me, and maybe the industry has missed out a lot. And that was back in 2014, 15. There's been a lot of um, – new spirits come to the market since then, but that was the original plan. 
Sure. So we, the bold new traditions, Irish whiskey has typically not used virgin American oak. Virgin American oak tends to be used by in, in the US for bourbon and ryes and American whiskeys. Um, but Irish um, grain and malt whiskey stand up very well to the flavors of virgin American oak. And what we wanted to do was do something different. I don't, I don't have a background of a grandfather who used to um, distill whiskey. I don't have a long history in the industry and I don't know how to differentiate yourself unless you're going to try and do something different. Irish whiskey has typically always, well, actually when, when we approach board Bia um, about funding us, they had two categories for Irish whiskey. They had name. So that Teeling's um, Jameson or place, think Glendalock, mm. Bushmills. And we, I don't well, I could call the whiskey Megan's or we could call it, um, you know, we could call it um, Dunleary whiskey, but I don't know that that makes you stand out in what's a very competitive market. So we decided we wanted to do things differently. And that, that linking of the, the oak as our, the difference, differentiation of our process, um, along with the differentiation of our branding and the differentiation of our story, as in we're newbies in an industry, we, we, we're not, history, we're not uh, whiskey veterans. All of those things lead to the idea that we have to build our own new traditions while standing on the shoulders of an industry that has great history. We're trying to go a slightly different direction. Okay. And then from the point of view of the totally uninitiated, what are the key differences between Scotch whiskey, bourbon from the US and Irish whiskey? And where does Natterjack fit into the family of Irish whiskies? Sure. So um, broadly, the difference between the three, um, if we take American whiskey, um, bourbon has to be at least 51% corn in the mash bill. It has to be made in America and it has to be aged in virgin American oak. So it can't go into ex-bourbon barrels or anything like that. It's got to go into virgin American oak, but it can go in for a day and come out. And that gets you bourbon. Now, there are many other types of Irish whiskey, but that's if we just talk about bourbon. And um, then scotch is typically double distilled. So twice distilled. And it typically, scotch is famous for their single malt. So that is, um, and it, can, it tends to have a peaty flavor, typical scotch whiskey. So the malt is dried, was historically dried using peat. Mm-hmm. And, and that gave the malt its peat flavor. It's now peated in many different ways, but that was originally what it was. And then Irish whiskey was typically batch distilled in pot stills, triple distilled um, for extra smoothness and made using barley and unmalted barley which gave it kind of a spicier flavor. And that's typically the difference between the three. Irish whiskey has to be aged for three years in a day in barrel. Whereas bourbon, you can, if you're happy with the color of it after a day in a virgin American oak barrel, you can take it out okay. as long as okay. it was aged for a period in there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Natterjack then within the family of Irish whiskey. So I, you know, I understand within Irish whiskey, we have malt whiskey, we've pot still whiskey, we've grain whiskey, and we've blended whiskeys. Where, where is Natterjack in that? In that Natterjack is very firmly in the blended um, whiskey, but where we really see um, our point of differentiation is the versatility of the spirit. So it's wonderful on its own, and that's how I drink it, but um, it works really well in a cocktail alongside some ginger um, or a little bit of orange which tends to accentuate some of the flavors that the virgin American oak have imparted. Some of those citrus notes, some of those vanillas. Mm -hmm. So once again, Irish whiskey for a long period struggled with 
what do you mix it with? Does it just go with, uh, just go on its own or with a, you know, um, as a, a pint and a bowl of malt back in the day, or do you just put in a tiny dribble of water? And we're trying to provide a little bit more versatility to people that maybe haven't looked at whiskey before who find whiskey a little bit, Irish whiskey, a little bit intimidating. Mm-hmm. This is a little more approachable. Okay. And what, what, Natterjack, Natterjack, I understand this is a toad, right? Why, why Natterjack? So Natterjack Toad is the only toad that's indigenous to Ireland. But the reason he's our spirit animal is he does things his own way. And um, while all others around are hopping, he walks and he um, he's not a very good swimmer. So <laughs> he we decided that he kind of embodied our spirit. He also, while he's indigenous to Ireland, he is, he, or he or she tend to be nocturnal, mm-hmm. like the best whiskey drinkers. They tend to change their behavior to fit into the 82 other countries that they exist in. So they're not unlike the Irish. So he became our spirit animal. And um, it's such a handsome toad, we decided we couldn't, uh, <laughs> couldn't back away from it. Turn that up, okay. So, and just picking up on that theme of the Irish around the world, where do you see the future high potential markets for Irish whiskey in general and Natterjack in particular? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. We're currently exporting to five markets um, and the the kind of golden road for Irish whiskey companies when they come together with their plans is, you know, we're going to go to America and, and crack the market there. And, and while, while we are exporting to it, we have exported to the US, it's a very complex and expensive market. It's a mature market and it's not an easy market to make a splash in. So we recognize the power of it. They, there's a lot of Irish whiskey consumed over there, but that's not necessarily the immediate growth path. We've had interest um, from China, from Australia, from Central Europe, um, from Germany. Um, where, so where do we think the, the future for us is? The future for us is in markets where there are contemporary um, people within the kind of 25 to 45 um, year old age um, spectrum that enjoy cocktails and food. And and those markets are growing and the spirit sector is growing in those markets. And gin is kind of overdone in a lot of these markets. And Mm -hmm. that's where we think the, uh, where the growth will come from. And the five markets that you're in now, which ones are those? So we have shipped to the U S to China, to Trinidad, to the UK and the fifth market escapes me currently. Probably I'll think of it in a second. Sorry. Germany, Holland, one of those. And some, I, oh, that's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I can't think of the fifth. So, so Italy, excuse Italy, me. Italy, okay. No, Italy. Um, so what kind of challenges uh, have you faced in terms of logistics, in terms of compliance with local legislation, tax, and having a commercial presence in accessing those markets so far? So, um, excellent question. The logistics, this is a logistics and marketing game. The logistics are difficult. Um, we faced challenges over um, over how to put together a group like a a small a small number of pallets to a market where you're not taking an entire container we're a small company and and that can't that provides its problems as well we have some help with um with the logistics side of it with our bottling company mary's down in clamel who have a lot of experience in this area and have held our hand and stopped uh, held our hands and stopped held our hands and stopped us making many massive mistakes Mm -hmm. and from a compliance perspective so long as you are Mate, so long as you are compliant in the production of your liquid and in the paying of your taxes, which are very, there's a, there's a framework with which to do that. It's very, 
as long as you're complying with those, it's hard not to be compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty straightforward. You pay your taxes and your production is what you say it is. And um, once that's the case, well, then things are pretty straightforward. The geographical indicator of Irish whiskey kind of stops any gray area there. Um, and the commercial presence in accessing the markets is, is, a, is an interesting one. There's two models you can go down. You can, you can put boots on the ground yourself and you can then have a distribution partner in country who, to whom you pay a smaller margin. And they would have, they're effectively a delivery company. But if you don't have the resources to put people on the ground and put a lot of people on the ground, what you can do is you can work with distrib- distribution companies who take a larger margin, but they then represent your brand in country and get it into the right bars and get it into the right hands and get it to the right events. And that's the model we have gone with, whereby we give up margin in order for a distribution company to be our boots on the ground in the near term. Mm-hmm. And do you find that, uh, is that a process of trial and error? Because I can imagine, you know, at first you find a partner and then when you work together, it might work, it might not. Uh, what's your experience been? Yeah, and it's a, it's a question of control. So we've always said we're going to build the brand slowly and properly because what you don't want to have happen is your distribution company gets annoyed with you and or it doesn't move quick enough or something like that. And you end up in the wrong bars or, you know, discounted to below a ridiculous price. And you, then you have brand erosion and, and that's a really big problem. So you put in place agreements with your distributors in relation to how the brand is treated within market. And if that's breached, well, then you no longer deal with them. Um, and we've been lucky so far. So, so in terms of the business, then in the coming uh, years, what are your goals and ambitions for this business? We always started with um, big ambitions for Natterjack. Myself and the team here in Dublin recognize both the power of the brand and the the power of Irish whiskey and the need for um, for more and interesting spirits as the as people become more interested in the sector. And um, what are our ambitions are to increase at a steady rate, not, we're not going to go to too many markets too quickly, but at a steady rate, increase our international exposure and make Natterjack synonymous with Irish whiskey. Um, how does that look for us? I would say if we're in eight markets by the end, by halfway through next year, so three more from where we are at the moment, we'd be pretty happy. Um, but things are, sales, sales are going pretty well in Ireland at the moment as well. And Ireland is the third largest Irish whiskey market. So it's not to be sniffed at that we need to focus on home as well. Sure. And then l- looking abroad, you know, if we were here a few years ago, you know, we'd be saying, you know, globalization is advancing at pace. Um, the world is your oyster. But things have kind of changed since 2016 with, with protectionism and Brexit, Trump and so on. So you, you're an international politics, uh, politics graduate, former City of London trader. You now have entrepreneurial experience. So what's your own particular view on where we are with economic globalization? Where do you see it going from here? Um, I would hope that we can get back on track with more, more understanding, more equality, more moves towards uh, a freer um, movement of commerce and people globally. I think the move, the shift that you're talking about since 2016 is very concerning. However, 
we've been around long enough to understand that these things are cyclical. There's moves in the opposite direction now, um, reactions against the kind of the, the tariff lading. We're, we're, we're in a turbulent time, but we, we were in a turbulent time in 2008, 2009. We come through these things. My hope is that we move towards freer movement. Um, and I think we will come back to that once people see some of the problems that are in place with the likes of um, tariffs, which I'll talk about in one second, tariffs or Brexit um, and protectionism and rising nationalism that's happening at the moment. Um, Brexit is, I, I, I voted Remain. I'm, I was born in the UK, so I have a, uh, I've got a, a vote um, and I was, um, I firmly believe Britain was better within the EU, um, I think it is a big problem in the near term for their currency, for it as a market. It's a problem for us as Ireland as their closest trade, as our closest trading partner. Um, and I think we're, I think we're in for a rocky couple of years in relation to the UK. Um, but I, but I do think the cycle will come back sooner rather than later. Yeah. And the EU has provided Irish whiskey with a geographic indication um, that, you know, there are certain conditions about that it's produced in the island of Ireland and so on and so forth. When producers in Northern Ireland are no longer in the EU, what, what happens to that EU uh, geographic indication for Irish whiskey? Um, well, humans are nothing if not good to adapting to new situations, especially when there is um, profit or margin on the line. So I think we're going to find a way for the geographical indicator to make, to remain as the island of Ireland. Um, and I think you'll find that people will work hard for that to happen. And um, really, it's a question of logistics and revenue as to, I mean, nobody wants to see a producer in the north to be treated different to a, to a producer in the south. Like I think we're, I, I think they'll find a way. Yeah, and I, and I assume that the supply chain on the island of Ireland is is integrated, and you may even do business and exchange with each other, whether for raw materials or barrels or whatever it is you might be uh, ex exchanging. Does that happen, and is that in danger? Yeah, uh, it's not in danger at the moment, and it happens. There's not as the Irish supply chain in whiskey certainly at at our level. I can't speak to the larger companies, but at our level, there's there's not a huge amount going on. There's a lot of sharing of knowledge, but if you think about our size, there's not much we can offer to a distillery in the north. But I do know that I'm some I've some great friends in in distilleries and gin and uh, vodka and whiskey distilleries in the north, and and um, we are all want to work together to make sure that the sector is not damaged because if the sector is damaged the first people that will feel it will be the smaller ones mm -hmm. and that's a problem uh so leaving maybe whiskey just to, to one side for a minute outside of work what kind of things do you like to do you, you, you seem like a guy with a kind of a, a wide spectrum of interests and a, and a and a broad background so i guess you probably have um interests outside of the world of whiskey right yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I enjoy my, when I, when you talk about what, what sports do I like to watch? Um, I mean, I'm pretty vanilla in cycling and, um, and rugby on the Irish side, but our holidays tend to be, we got a, I have a great Dane and a son, um, myself and 
uh, Faye take them for walks on a daily basis. Um, life is pretty hectic in the whiskey world, though, yeah. so we we do try and get out. We try and travel, um, and yeah, just trying to enjoy as much of it as we can. Okay, so yeah, and then your personal plans for the for the future, family, this whole. And um, we have one son, plans for more, um, <laughs> and, you know, sell as much whiskey as we can, but bring them along on the adventure with us. Because part of this, part of this, and part of what the team and I love about this is the adventure that Natterjack and Gertenor provides us with. Um, we intend to have the distillery planning in as soon as possible, which would mean we'd be breaking ground um, early 2020. Um, and then from there, it's about getting around the world and telling people the story of, of Natterjack about how if you want to go and do something, it's just the power of your desire to do it that gets you there. There's many roadblocks that'll tell you why you shouldn't go and follow whatever whatever you want to do with your life. But if you are willing to push hard enough for it, you can end up like I have, you know, with a with a, a team and a whiskey company. And, and the, oh, like, I'm not, I mean, I'm not all that gifted. Uh, anyone could do what I've done and or what we've done as a team. I mean, we're, we, we like to think we're gifted, but all of us are working really hard at something. And um, that's that's the main part of what it takes. And we'll be telling that story for as much as we can over the coming five to 10 years. Excellent. And where can people find out more about Natterjack Whiskey and the, the Gorton or Distillery? Natterjack.com has our story on there. And then Instagram um, is kind of where we're most active in telling our story of day to day, what it's like working in the office and that sort of thing. And I think what we really love to get across is the fact that this is an independent small team. Um, we have all the flexibility that comes with an independent team. I'm sitting in an empty office today because that's what flexibility brings. But we have all the challenges that being an independent team is as well. And that is that, you know, if you want to buy a Natterjack cocktail in Ireland at the moment, it's very hard for us to get on a cocktail list because we don't have the power of some of the larger companies. And so we have all of the flexibility, but a lot of challenges. Um, and you can find out more about that on natterjack.com. Well, thank you very much. Time flies. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been very interesting to speak to you. And I wish you every success uh, for the future with uh, Natterjack and with Gortonor. Thank you very much, Aidan. Thanks very much, Patrick. Great thank you. you. Thank you. And many thanks to Peter on sound. Uh, we'll be back soon with more interesting guests to talk about their international links and experience. And you can check out my website at albalogistics.com or contact me on pdaily at albalogistics.com. Bye-bye and until next time. Thanks, Aidan. That was brilliant. Thank you very much. Sorry about that mess up in the middle. That's My fine. earphones died is the problem. And then I couldn't <laughs> get the speakers to work. So. Yeah. The, the, the guys have just edited that out. So uh, it should, should be fine. Actually, the sound quality was much better after you came back on the second time. Okay. Um, all the way all the way through. It was a bit patchy before that, and then it totally broke down. So, But I'm sure they'll, um, they'll be able to correct it. Sue? So, Thanks, Patrick. Uh, well, great to talk to you. Um, but and when will that be on? What do you call it? Uh, uh, chance, chance meeting in in yeah. in Dorky, yeah. Um, exactly. exactly. Le leads leads to a radio interview, and then we'll see we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what, what when I'll I'll put some Instagram stuff about getting people to have listen to this. When's it on? I'll check now with the uh, the studio manager, but possibly uh, this Thursday evening, if not this Thursday evening, the following Thursday evening. I'll I'll double check with him and I'll I'll get back to you. Because, uh, you know, I, I do 
various ones and then we build up a bank of interviews and then he broadcasts them at different yeah, there's no panic. That's that's no problem. So I'll, I'll I'll let you know, and then they'll go up on a podcast, and I'll send you the links where you can refer people to the podcast then um, in the future. So they'll be there permanently. All right. Okay. Thanks very much, Patrick. Excellent. You're welcome. All the best. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.